0: Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today we're talking about the pervasive problem of consumerism and pragmatism in the American church. I was first trained for and learned ministry in what used to be called the seeker church movement or the seeker-sensitive movement, uh, what I call in my book The Prodigal Church, the attractional paradigm. And I was once asked to speak to a group of ministry leaders, um, giving a short talk, answering the question, why did you write the book, The Prodigal Church? And so I thought I would repurpose that talk a little bit and share some of those uh, reasons uh, with you. Um, The book, The Prodigal Church, was really the culmination of about 20 years uh, of ministry and probably about uh, 12 years or so um, in the midst of the attractional paradigm. And what I've discerned or what I've come to believe coming out of that movement, looking back on that movement and still staying um, sort of clued in on the leading practitioners um, and thought leaders in the attractional church, is that um, attractionalism, the attractional church is built, I think, uh, on two functional ideologies, consumerism and pragmatism. In fact, perhaps the first guru of the attractional church movement, Bill Hybels, used to have a sign outside his church office that read, who is our customer and what does our customer want? Now, at the time, we thought this was a really uh, stellar and insightful way of approaching uh, targeted church ministry. But today, um, it sort of grieves me that this kind of thinking as it pertains to church ministry doesn't strike many more people um, as having anything wrong with it. I think evangelicalism has been greatly hindered By consumerism and pragmatism. And I wrote the book, The Prodigal Church, as a gentle questioning of these ideologies and as a way to offer an alternative. Uh, But if I had to boil down why I wrote the book, I would suggest three primary reasons, which I'll share with you briefly. Uh, The first is this: there is more than one way to be legalistic. Um, See, the generation that gave us the seeker service and began the attractional church movement is in large part a reaction to the sort of fundamentalistic, stern, uh, evangelism-as-hell-insurance approach to church ministry. Um, This was characterized largely by thou shalt nots and a focus on biblical prohibitions. Uh, The attractional church crowd noted that this is a really negative view and decided to become more positive. They thought if we became uh, more positive, we'd be more attractive, of course, uh, to outsiders. And so what ensued was really sort of the um, pragmatic approach to preaching, for instance, the seven steps to be a better husband or employee, uh, how to make your marriage work, lots of how-to messages that were admittedly built on biblical principles. But what they didn't seem to factor in is that it's not simply the negative law That has no power to change people, but it's also the positive law has no power to change people. The law contains zero power to change anyone. Only the grace of God can do that. So it's not that the law is bad, but simply that it's bad at doing what only the gospel can do. So we ended up with a bunch of churches that thought wearing jeans, serving coffee, giving people seven steps was rejecting legalism, when really it was only giving legalism a makeover. Because don't and do are simply two sides to the same coin. And legalism is what you have when you divorce the human do from the divine done of the gospel. If you win people to biblical principles, but not to the biblical Christ, you simply create religious people with no power. You create um, really well-behaved pagans. And for the devil, that's a complete win. Satan is totally fine with people acting right all the way to hell. Secondly, I wrote the book The Prodigal Church because the pragmatism of the attractional church doesn't actually work. It doesn't actually work. Um, This is the dirty big secret behind attractional programming and ministry. It really doesn't do what the practitioners think it does. All right, hold that provocative thought. Let's pause and take a coffee break and hear from our friends at Midwestern Seminary. And I'll tell you why I don't think it's working when we return. Midwestern College is preparing and equipping the leaders of today and tomorrow. Our students continue to be agents of change both in the United States and around the world. The unique community environment at Midwestern College fosters spiritual, personal, and academic growth as students deepen their understanding of the Word of God and the world He created. With our dual degree option, students can get grounded in the truth while getting ready for the marketplace. Our Accelerate program allows students to pursue both their Bachelor of Arts and their Master of Divinity simultaneously in one intensive five-year program. Midwestern College, both residential and online degrees available. Midwestern is the sensible option for preparing and equipping the leaders of today and tomorrow. Find out more at midwesterncollege.com. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest-growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. In my last point, I made the daring statement that the Attractional Church doesn't work. Why would I say such a thing? Well, in 1995, Sally Morgenthaler, one of the earliest proponents of the seeker service approach to church, wrote a book called Worship Evangelism, all about how to turn your worship service into an event for seekers. Uh, It became one of the most uh, influential and impactful books of the movement. And it's from this kind of thinking, from the kind of thinking represented in Morgenthaler's worship evangelism, it's from this kind of thinking that we now have in church advertising a lot of adjectives attached to our music time. Uh, We describe our worship times uh, with words like exciting and dynamic and vibrant and so on as we attempt to sell our worship music to consumers. Twelve years after she wrote the book, however, Morgenthaler had largely disavowed her earlier claims. She had spent the previous decade traveling around to the churches that had adopted her worship-as-evangelism approach, and she became greatly disillusioned by what she experienced. So, she began to conduct some research. And what she discovered was that in churches where ministers estimated that unchurched people made up 50% of their congregation, it was actually more like 3%. And what they discovered was that many people attracted to the attractional church just tend to be disillusioned or disaffected believers, or even believers who just got tired of the experience at their previous church. And they learned that the turnover rate in the attractional church is pretty high, with people attending these churches on average about four to seven years before moving on. Statistically, this is proving true across evangelicalism. We have more churches, which is great, but we have fewer professing Christians. Nearly every major statistical survey into American church life is showing that the nation is becoming less and less churched, even as megachurches become bigger and more common. A few years ago, Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois, came out with its reveal survey. They discovered that their system wasn't working. In fact, they plainly said that it's not working. It was a bold admission, um, but it has had, I think, little to no impact on the attractional movement which seems to have sort of carried on with its fingers and its ears brothers i want to tell you it doesn't work pragmatism doesn't work at least it doesn't work on the things where it really counts or what biblically matter Um, you know the attractional movement may gather a crowd and entertain them but it doesn't make fully devoted followers of christ i would remind you that what you win people with is what you win them to. In fact, the way a church wins its people shapes its people. Consumeristic values and pragmatic methodology win consumers and pragmatists. If they aren't won by the glory of Christ, however, they aren't won to the glory of Christ. All right, number three, the gospel is the only means of transformation. I wrote the book, The Prodigal Church, because I am totally sold out on the idea that the gospel is the only power for life change. And this is what we want. This is what we want. This is what people want at their hearts. What is at the heart of the Attractional Church movement is that people would know Jesus. It's a great and sincere uh, motivation, the greatest motivation for the church to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. This is what resonated with me early on in the movement. I, I wanted my lost friends to know Jesus and to follow him. But when we put the burden of life change on anything other than the gospel, it doesn't work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul shows us really the expansive reach and power of the historical message of the gospel. He says, you received this gospel, past tense, which would refer to your conversion experience. But then he says, you're standing, present tense, in this gospel. And then he goes on to say that we are being saved, present future tense, by this gospel. Clearly, the good news of Jesus Christ is not for just one moment in time, but for all of time, and is the power for constant sanctifying change. It is the power, the gospel is the power and the grounds for both justification and sanctification. This means you cannot wear it out. The gospel cannot get old, and the gospel is our only hope. This news is our only hope and our only power. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In Ephesians 3, 7, Paul says the gospel was given to him by God's power. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, he says the gospel is accompanied with power. In 1 Corinthians one eighteen, he says the message of the gospel is the power of God. And in Colossians 1, Paul says that the gospel is going into the world. It is bearing fruit and growing like it's this alien force dropped out of heaven, doing its own thing, hijacking the world according to the knowledge and wisdom and forethought of God. This is why we have to reject the vending machine faith of the attractional church. Look, when I was at my worst, when I was in the midst of depression, suicidal, wanting to check out of this world, I had literally a notebook full of helpful tips. Every week I was given a new set of instructions by which to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And not a single one of them worked. When I was face down in the carpet of that guest bedroom in Nashville, Tennessee, wanting to end it all, the thing that turned the lights on for me, that turned my life around, uh, was not a set of how-tos. It was the message that the work of righteousness is finished. It was the proclamation of grace that changed me. And this is how our people are changed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says it's by beholding the glory of Christ with an unveiled face that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Somehow seeing Christ, seeing his glory is what changes people. This means we have to hold up the glory of Christ at every opportunity. This is why our messages, our ministries, must be saturated with the visible, explicit glory of Christ. Thank you so much for listening to the For the Church podcast. My name is Jared Wilson. I hope this has been a help to your heart and to your heart for God's people. Until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, Managing Editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.